Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the Pulpnet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines, since 1996, online at the In this Pulp Event Podcast, Michelle Nolan, longtime journalist and pop culture historian, takes a look at the sport pulp magazines. It was recorded on August 13, 2015, at Pulp Fest 2015 in Columbus, Ohio. Here is Michelle. The panel, this panel is setting a record for the latest panel in Pulp Fest history. So, I, at least I think it is. So I deeply, which I figure is appropriate for sports, because they're always talking about records of various kinds. So I appreciate those of you who showed up. I'm, I want to make this an interactive event. Uh, where I, I've spoken to many of you individually, and I give a special shout out to all my Pulp Era, era Amateur Press Association friends that, there they go. And um, I would really like to um, have you ask me questions or make comments or correct me if you think I'm wrong or if you have some something to add, uh, because I think that would add to the panel. And to be honest, I've always, I've done a lot of speaking over the radio in my career. And I can tell you that the average uh, person doesn't like to listen to a human being for more than about eight minutes before there's an interruption. So um, anyway, sport, sport, sports pulps are probably the least known and least collected genre. And the reason is, first of all, you have to have some interest in sports, unless you are collecting every pulp, uh, like Sheila back in the back there that collects every pulp. But for the most part, uh, you know, sports pulps are uh, filled with um, fantasy-type fiction, although it's much more based in reality than any other type of pulp. That's what made sports pulps special, because there were no flying people or superhuman detectives or heroes like the shadow or anything like that. Basically what sports pulps did was provide probably more conflict per page than any other pulp genre. It was all conflict of various types, whether it was player against coach or uh, coach against management or player versus teammate or whatever it was, there, there was conflict all over the place. And if you think about it, real sports is pretty much like that, although sportsmanship generally calls for conflict to not end in, in bloody fights, but although it does sometimes, especially in sports like hockey. Sports Story Magazine from Street and Smith um, ran for 20 years, from 1923 to 43, and it's by far the most successful of the sports balls, even though it, it um, was discontinued early as part of the World War II purge. It ran 427 issues and um, until the last four years was uh, twice a month. And um, a lot, of, even in my book, Ball Tales, which studies all aspects of sports fiction, um, the, uh, I, I used the old total 429, but when I went over all the volumes and numbers, uh, it doesn't match up with 429, it's 427. So that's what I'm going with now. Um, this was the only sports magazine to print serials. Uh, none of the others did that to the best of my knowledge. They all printed one-off one stories. But 
for some reason, like many of the other Street and Smith publications, they like to print serials. This is both positive and negative for the collector because the guy who has the most sports, uh, sports story magazines on earth is sitting right there, um, Alex, and um, uh, down Dacus. And, and Alex is, I guess, over, what, 280 now or something? Uh, I have almost 100, and I'm not avidly collecting it. Um, but anyway, it, it was a, an incredible um, success. And uh, it was one of only 12 titles of any pulp genre to, to appear all 20 years that Sports Story magazine was on the stands. Only 12 other titles appeared during those 20 years. Um, part of that's fluky because obviously the shadow started later than, but the shadow didn't last 20 years either. It lasted 18. So um, it's just an amazing, amazing tribute to it. It had only one competitor uh, during its uh, most of its um, uh, publication history, and that was called the All America Sports Story Magazine, which ran 45 issues from 1933 to 38. It was published by the publishers of, of Ring Magazine, which was one of the most famous, probably the most famous, sports publication in American history for a long time. Uh, that was when boxing was second only to baseball in public sports interest. Boxing was unbelievably huge in this country in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And um, there were years when the highest rated program on television was the Friday Night Fights. And so it's, it was an amazing, but I don't really collect boxing material and I, don't, I personally don't like this sport even though my dad was a professional prize fighter. And I, I feel that um, it just doesn't interest me. So if anybody wants to write a book about boxing, feel free, because I'm not going to do it. Um, anyway, this magazine, All-America Sports Magazine, it, it lasted only five years, and it, it, it published very, very little of note. It was, it was really a, a, a poor magazine. Um, but, you know, it's still collectible only in the sense that it's very, very old and very antique looking. It looks like it was printed in 1890. It's, it's very unusual. Um, by 1935 to 39, there was a, an immense flood of, of uh, about 25 or 26, depending on what you define as sports titles, um, by all six publishers at, besides Street and Smith, there were six publishers only that did, did American sports pulps. And they were Ace, uh, Thrilling, Popular, Red Circle, which was Martin Goodman's outfit, uh, Fiction House, which did almost nothing but single sport pulps, and Columbia. Uh, Columbia was the really awful company that actually produced an American icon in Archie. So I guess that goes under the category of even a blind squirrel finds an acorn now and then. But anyway, those, those, uh, those six publishers um, published a, a grand total of 1,045 sports pulps. Now, that's an astoundingly low number over a period of about 22 years. Um, they lasted till 1957. Columbia had to last. And uh, it was, it was a, a, amazing how few were published. But they sold well, and they generally um, were pretty popular. And believe it or not, a lot of girls read them too. And um, 
ergo my interest in in um, doing the thing and I think I think um, that uh, sports pulps were um, kind of the only place where readers could could read something based in reality I mean you could say that about romance pulps but if you've ever read a romance pulp you know it's not based in reality any way shape or form for the most part but sports pulps were and the, the vast majority of the stories contained no superheroics of any kind, no, um, you know, incredible, fantastic endings. Mo in fact, most of the big games were described in fairly pedestrian terms. The real, uh, the real good aspects of sports pulps was the conflict between the coach and the player and all the other potential conflicts. And... The, the game action is actually pretty stultifying and not very well written, but the conflict, for the most part, is very, is very vivid. And it continues to this day, because just the other day, uh, the quarterback for the Jets got cracked by one of his linemen, and, and there's been various, I heard one radio announcement today speculating that Smith owed the other guy money, and who knows. But anyway, I'm sure the writers will dig it out. Um, and uh, the thing is, that kind of conflict occurred in sports pulps all the time. And, you know, m most, of the, most of the real life things that have happened in sports were actually much more dramatic than what appeared in sports pulps. Don Larson's no-hitter in the 1956 World Series for the Yankees. Um, you know, um, Joe Carter's uh, World Series winning home run for the Blue Jays in 1993 and Bobby Thompson's home run for the New York Giants in 1951 that won the World Series. I mean, I'm sorry, won the playoffs over the Brooklyn Dodgers and then the Giants went on to, to lose the World Series to the Yankees. But the point I'm making is that in, in sports pulps, fiction takes a back seat to fact. There are very few stories in any of these pulps where they couldn't happen or where you'd say, there's a few. Alex, I see your face grooming. Every issue there's at least one where there is a Yeah, those are often short stories rather than the longer stories. I'm thinking more of the longer stories where a character... Did. The short stories almost had to have some kind of great effort because they were short. And, you know, otherwise they would be boring. But the longer stories, and there were a lot of long stories in Sports Pulps, these stories tended to focus on, you know, human nature and human interest, and they really were very good. Um, I described quite a few of my book here, and, and there was one particularly touching story about a third-string football player who'd never seen the field until his senior year of college. And he literally became the leader of the team because of his unselfish nature. And it turned out he was a pretty good player his senior, his senior year. And this type of thing happens every year in America. There are always stories in the, in the newspapers and magazines about former backups who become stars for Michael Jordan got cut from his high school varsity basketball team and sent back to the JVs if you can believe that in North Carolina and um, you know there are there are lots of stories that feature uh, drama and and uh, unusual events but but real life actually is is more compelling and that's one reason I'm getting ahead of myself here but that's one reason why sports pulps didn't last very long, was once television 
and radio had an impact too, but television really had an impact on sports publications, both fact and fiction, because when you could watch heroics on the television, starting in commercially in the, uh, the early 50s, when you could do that, that was much more dramatic than reading a sports story. And uh, most sports fiction, uh, starting in the 1930s, was written primarily for young readers, uh, teenagers and, and below. And um, you know, there has been in the last 20 or 30 years a number of adult novels, and particularly mysteries, um, probably less than 300 books total. I don't know, something like that in my collection. Um, but the point is that, that um, sports fiction was primarily for younger readers. Um, as far as the, the uh, first competitor for Street and Smith, that was um, published by Popular. It was called Dime Sports, and later it became New Sports after the hiatus during World War II. They couldn't call it Dime Sports anymore because it cost 15 cents and then a quarter. Pretty soon inflation, you know, it went from a dime to a quarter in about three years, and it was, um, uh, so it was New Sports. But anyway, uh, that appeared in July of 1935 with a um, swimmer, a diver actually, but I don't know if it was a swimmer or only a diver, but anyway, some do both, but a swimmer on the cover. Now, that of course, I, I don't think there was a single swimmer on any sports cover after 1940. There might have been one or two, but not very many. And the, in the early days of sports pulps, all manner of sports were featured, including hunting and fishing and Street and Smith had just about every sport you could imagine except checkers on the cover. And it was kind of interesting in a way, but it also showed how our society has lost interest in these, these other activities and yet retained interest in football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. And as it is right now, in, I did a survey of post-World War II sports pulps and other than a few boxing covers, 95% of them or better had football, basketball, or baseball. Baseball mostly, then football and basketball. And a lot of people don't realize it, but football was huge in America before World War II, but only on the college level. The NFL was founded in 1920, and it was basically a bunch of uh, barnstormers in a sense. I mean, they had teams from, you know, the Green Bay Packers are the hangover from the barnstorm days. But it's, it's uh, basically the NFL was nothing, and college was everything. Whereas in, in uh, the baseball stories were primarily set in the big leagues, although there were a few in the minors, quite, quite a few actually, in the minor leagues. And, um, but it was still professional baseball. There was almost never a college baseball story written in the sports pulps. And that's an interesting contrast. Same in basketball. Pro basketball, the NBA, wasn't founded until shortly after World War II ended. And, uh, and it, by the way, with almost all white players. Um, I've seen some tapes of those games, uh, and my, one of my cousins played for the University of Washington with Bob Hubregs, who invented the hook shot in the early 50s in college basketball. And let me tell you, these guys were not very good. Some of them were, were okay. They were good athletes, but most of them were essentially football guys who were big and played basketball and football. A lot of college athletes played both sports back in the day. Now very few do because it's so difficult. And it's almost like a, my son played college baseball for five years. And uh, he, he, was, he told me it was wonderful to have a scholarship and to get his college paid for, but it was like a job. 
and um, the coach approached it that way. Um, uh, but anyway, the the um, uh, the thing about it is that uh, sports pulps in general um, started publishing primarily only the major sports on their covers, and that kind of paralleled America's interest. Um, in the World War II period, um, Fiction House published three issues of something called Bullseye Sports in the late 30s, and that was their only general interest sports pulp. All they only did 106 others, and they were all either football or baseball stories with one one-shot basketball pulp. But, uh, and basketball, by the way, was very, in fact, there were more hockey stories in Street and Smith uh, Sports Story magazine than there were basketball stories. So that'll, a little bit more, that'll tell you something about how little basketball was, was uh, thought of back in the day. But they were also selling Canada. Yeah, right, right. But but the point is that hockey was, was you know, uh, basketball was not very big, is what I'm trying to say. Neither was hockey, for that matter, in America. Um, but, uh, and, he, and Alex is right, they were, um, they were selling these things in Canada. Um, in World War II, the only regular pulps that weren't devoted just to a single sport that remained uh, during a hiatus from roughly uh, 43 and 44 to 46 and 47 were the standard thrilling, uh, thrilling sports, popular sports, and exciting sports. And that was it. None of the rest survived. They all went on a hiatus. Most of their readers were off in the military. And while they could get pulps in the military, um, you know, they didn't generally have time in the military to read pulps the way they did comic books. And, uh, and then the, the, the real literate type soldier would read those armed services book editions. Um, but the thing is that uh, sports pulps just disappeared for several years. And boy, has it been hard. I spent years and years and years tracking these secretarial mistakes on the numbers. There, there are more volume and numbering mistakes and, and, a, and you know, continuation mistakes and all this stuff in sports pulps in any other genre by far. And I have a feeling it has to do with this hiatus. And, P, and also the companies that produce these pulps, um, Thrilling had a fair number of mistakes. Columbia was loaded with mistakes. They had the worst secretaries in the world. And um, they, uh, um, they made it. So it's been very hard to index these things. And I have uh, collected all but 85 of those 145, uh, 1,045 non-Street and Smith pulps. Um, Author-wise, uh, probably the best authors who wrote sports um, were authors who wrote others, other topics. Uh, Judson Phillips wrote very fine sports stories, a lot for Argosy and other uh, publications. Uh, he did a lot of thrillings, too. And he was Hugh Pentecost. Um, Judson was his real name, but he was Hugh Pentecost, who was one of the most famous of all mystery writers and became very successful. And not in the pulps, in, in hardbound and softbound books. Richard Sale, a very fine mystery writer, wrote a lot of sports in the 30s. George Bruce, one of the great aviation writers of all time, wrote a lot of sports. And uh, uh, then there were people like uh, Louis L'Amour, who wrote a couple of football stories, and James Blish, who wrote several baseball and football and racing stories. Uh, Lester Del Rey wrote a lot of sports stories, 
both as Lester and as his pseudonym, Philip St. John. These guys are icons in science fiction, and yet they were pretty prolific in sports. Um, others were um, Arthur Barnes, Gardner Fox, Damon Knight, Nelson Bond, of all people, wrote a lot of sports. When Nelson Bond's sports were reprinted by Fiction House, which was notorious for reprinting covers and stories, Nelson Bond didn't want his name on those stories, so they used pseudonyms, they used house names to reprint his stories, which is kind of amazing. I don't know of very many circumstances like that. But he was famous in the science fiction and fantasy world, and he didn't want to be known as a, a sports writer because that was kid stuff, and he just didn't, didn't want that name in there. Uh, Louis L'Amour wrote his sports stories under his own name, which was interesting. Um, he didn't write very many. He wrote a few boxing, a few football. As well. I don't think he ever wrote a baseball story. It's interesting. Um, the, uh, uh, the other thing about sports pulps that's interesting is that uh, there was an awful lot of fact in them, unlike uh, any other type of pulp. I mean, you might see poetry, maybe, maybe a lovelorn column in some, that was more comic book stuff than pulps. But in, 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 in the sports genre, you saw way more fact in the sports pulps than you did in any other type of pulp. I'm not sure about pulps like Adventure or Argosy. I don't collect them in big numbers. And, um, and some of you might be able to help me out. David, did, did Adventure and Argosy publish fact too, or mostly fiction? Um, okay. There's always uh, Adventure had, you know, pulp adventure or letter columns and they had experts with a lot of factual information and factual articles. Okay, so there may be perhaps the perhaps adventure was it rule the exception uh, that proves the rule, but sports pulps though had a lot of uh, nonfiction and a lot of it was written by the leading sports writers of the day who were moonlighting because newspapers have in the past and still do, I, I can speak from experience of 50 years, Newspapers pay the lowest salaries of any career that requires a college degree, and, uh, and they're bar none. And um, that's just the nature of the game because they get so many applications for jobs. And uh, I was once told that I got a job over 183 other applicants. Now, that either makes me pretty good or willing to work for very low money. But anyway, it was, it's just amazing what, what um, you know, the writers in uh, nonfiction, they, you know, they, I, I, we've, been, we've appeared in hundreds of magazines. It's just been amazing. Um, I don't know of any of the sports pulps that did not run nonfiction as well as fiction. And they ran a lot of shorts, too. Some of them were very entertaining. Most of them were reasonably accurate. Um, and almost all of them honored older, as I mentioned in the previous panel, before Ed's panel, almost all of them honored older figures, managers, team owners, veteran players, that kind of thing. Almost never did you see a nonfiction article about a young athlete, somebody 19, 20, 21. It, it just wasn't thought of as, as something that was proper. They wanted, to, they wanted to honor age and authority and experience and all these good American qualities, or so they thought. Today, if we had sports posts today, about every other story on the nonfiction front would be about troubles of college black athletes, just like it is in Sports Illustrated, where about 90% of the stories 
are about great talent but troubled kids who make compelling stories about how they're coming back from some major issue in their lives. And hopefully they do. But um, this wasn't the case in Sports Pulse. Now that leads me to Jackie Robinson. Jackie was the first uh, black player in modern Major League Baseball. There was a couple back in the 19th century, but um, that was long forgotten by the time Jackie Robinson came up to the Dodgers in 1947. Now, Fawcett Comics published a series of sports, 18 in all sports comics from 1949 to 52, and they did run mostly black athletes. Jackie Robinson ran six issues. Uh, Joe Lewis had a couple issues. Um, other, other great black athletes like uh, Dodger pitcher, what was the, uh, the pitcher's name? Um, uh, uh, Newcomb, yeah, that's it, thank you. Uh, Don Newcomb. And uh, they ran, mo of those 18 issues, I think, I think only six of them were devoted to white athletes. So it, they, were, they were courageous, and they were, they also published Negro Romances for three issues, the only book of its type ever. And I suspect that the publishers weren't as afraid as the other publishers. I was, I've been told by publishers and editors of the old days, starting in the 70s when I began researching this stuff, that anything with a black athlete on a cover, or a black person of any kind, was commercial suicide in America. And not just in the South, but all over America. So there, the, the one huge change, of course, in our culture has been the rise of the black athletes since World War II. And the sports pulps from 1947, the year Jackie Robinson achieved some fame, although not as much as he would have today, but Jackie Robinson was never, ever on the cover of a sports pulp. And I've surveyed the covers of every single sports pulp. Jackie Robinson didn't, and now here's, here's a guy who probably made the greatest contribution in American sports history to our society by being brave enough to take unbelievable garbage, unbelievable racist comments spewed at him every day. If they'd had the internet then, I don't know if he could have made it. It was, it was it, the trolls, as the internet phrase goes, the trolls on Jack were just amazing. I mean, people would come to the park solely to give him a bad time. And, and, there were, and, and for him never to go into the stands, unlike, say, Ty Cobb, who fought several fans in his life, um, Jackie Robinson had incredible self-control. I mean, he had to have hated all this. But for all of his heroics, and he's in the Hall of Fame, he was a great player. He didn't join the Brooklyn Dodgers till he was 28 years old. But he was a four-sport letterman at UCLA. He was a great, he was a, a, a very valiant serviceman during World War II, and he was a, a, a one of the greatest athletes of all time. And as a ball player, he was a very sound. He he only had a few great years, but he was older, and he also was surrounded by incredibly talented teammates. Um, I think five or six of them are in the Hall of Fame. So whatever it is, and. Uh, you know, and that doesn't even count Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax, who were young players then at the end of the Dodgers in Brooklyn. But all I'm saying is that for Jackie Robinson not to appear on the cover of their sports pulp was a, an American disgrace. It was, it was typical of the America of the day, which was commercially, you, you saw almost no black people in American magazines of any type, except, of course, Jet and Ebony and 
that type of magazine and directed to black audience. But you saw almost no black people in American. You could go through the Saturday Evening Post, the Ladies Home Journal, all that stuff in the 30s and 40s. You won't see a single black face anywhere in those magazines. It's as though black people didn't exist. And it was the same way with the pulps. The pulps were, um, it, I mean, I'm almost ashamed of it to say that. Because the idea, and the, and the pulps did, did put a lot of real people on their covers. Um, Popular Sports, which started in 1937 after Thrilling Sports in 1936, um, produced covers of about, I can't remember the exact number, but 15 or 20 great athletes, including Lou Gehrig, and that issue sells for a lot of money. Um, and uh, Popular Sports is a very, uh, it has basketball, baseball, football, um, record setters and, and people like Hank Lucetti of basketball fame and, and all these other who invented the uh, jump shot and all these other great athletes, Joe Medwick, I'm trying Dizzy Dean, Bob Feller. I mean, all these people are on the covers of these sports magazines. Street and Smith published a lot of that way, a lot of covers with, with real people. Um, Thrilling did. Uh, most of the publications did have a few like that. Um, the only one I can think of that I don't think ever published a real human being on its cover was Martin Goodman's Red Circle, and uh, you know the Marvel comic book guy. And for Joe, Joe Lewis was never on the cover of a pulp. Oh, you know he might have been on the cover of Star Sports in 19. Thank you for that. Uh, Star Sports in 1936. I think the first issue. It has a kind of a, a vague, a vague colored image you know, colored in face. It looks like Joe Lewis, but it doesn't say it's Joe Lewis. And, um, the, but anyway, it's, it's just a very, uh, it's just very interesting that real people appeared on a lot of the sports pulps. Now, real people never appeared in any other pulp genre, you know, that I know of. I mean, there might have been one that I don't know, but for the most part, didn't happen. So sports pulps were either deeply loved or just totally ignored? Five minutes? Thank you. Um, so it, it, that's, that's, does anybody have, it, have I failed to cover anything or, you know, I, I did a little bit, I didn't want to do it totally chronologically because I thought that would have been incredibly boring, but um, is there anybody who has a question or thinks I've overlooked something? Walker. Tell us something about the upcoming book. Oh, my book? Yeah, I'm working on a book now on pulp baseball and football fiction, which was by far the most total pulp fiction, although boxing was prominent um, during the 30s and 40s, um, and not so much in the 50s, but uh, the, the book will cover um, how the, uh, <laughs> boy, you wouldn't believe how, how re research intensive this book is. It, it deals with um, how real life sports culture, and I used to, I've been a, a, a news feature writer, but I've also done a ton of sports, including a lot of women's sports coverage. And this book will, will reflect society the way it really was, and, 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 then, and then how it's reflected in the pulps, or not reflected, as the case may be. Yes? No, baseball cards were an entirely separate thing. Yeah, most baseball cards didn't have much publicity until the, I believe it was a 1952 top series. Um, these companies like Bowman and Tops and stuff. Sports Illustrated's first issue had baseball cards in it. 
Yeah, but that's not a pulp. That's just a magazine. No, I, yeah, right. But that was a nonfiction magazine. They're, they never published fiction, uh, at least not much. Maybe one story once in a great while. Um, no, they, they, the, the baseball cards were basically the modern, ba the origin of the modern baseball card was 1952 at Tops. Those are the ones that are worth so much money today, especially since uh, Mickey Mantle's rookie card is in that set. And, I'm sorry, can't hear you. Well, yeah, but for some reason, um, sports pulps just weren't nearly as commercially viable as the other genres. I'll give you an example. There were, like I say, if you include Street and Smith, there were about 1,530 sports pulps published total, not counting the boxing ones from Fiction House did quite a long run of fight stories. But sports pulps, um, that's 1,500 pulps. Um, the next lowest genre is more than four times that many in terms of uh, air, air, air war pulps, air, airplane pulps, also romance pulps and western pulps ran, ran to the many thousands, um, detective pulps, uh, general interest pulps. In fact, there were more issues of, um, was it Western Story Mag, or there were almost as many issues of Western Story Magazine. Walker, how many issues were there? Okay, was that the longest running pulp? Okay, but there were, well, I'm thinking of genre. Okay, so Western, Western Story Magazine from Street and Smith, they published almost, in one magazine, they published almost as many issues as the entire pulp field. So what does that tell you about, you know, the interest? And also collecting-wise, I've been able to acquire with very little competition on eBay incredible numbers of sports pulps because nobody wants them unless you're a pulp completist like Sheila or you're like Alex who likes uh, Street and Smith and some of the hockey covers on other pulps and so he has some interest in them. But there are so few collectors of sports pulps that I almost feel embarrassed that I'm doing a book on it. But I think it's a story that needs to be told. Um, did somebody else say that? Uh, John. Oh, yeah, well, author-wise, yeah, Jackson Schultz was 1924 Olympic gold medalist in 200 meters. He was the inspiration for the movie Chariots of Fire. And Jackson Schultz wrote probably more sports stories in the pulps than anyone except T.W. Ford. And I can't remember T.W. Ford's real name. Maybe somebody can, but that was a pseudonym. But T.W. Ford wrote well over a thousand pulp stories, especially westerns and sports. But he covered them all, and he was amazingly prolific. Never wrote a published novel, to the best of my knowledge, softback or paperback. I don't think T.W. Ford ever wrote a published novel. All of his writing was in the pulps, and yet he wrote novel-length stories. He wrote all kinds of aviation, western sports. I, I, think, I think he might be the unknown most prolific author of all time. I, I would not be surprised if he wrote more words than Felix Faust or Walter Gibson or some of the others. Um, anyway, um, that's about it. And it, does anybody have any other questions? I want to thank you for sitting through the latest panel in Pulp Fest history. And um, I hope you gain some interest in sports pulps. 
You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, when your next adventure was just a dime away. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps.